if you don't mind, let's take a moment for the sponsors so they can keep the lights running and keep West Virginia and Commonplace going. 1998, Stamps.com has been an indispensable tool for nearly 1 million businesses. Stamps.com brings a service of the United States Postal Service and the UPS shipping right to your computer. Whether you're in an office sending invoices, a side hustle SD shop, or a full-blown warehouse shipping out orders, Stamps.com will make your life easier. All you need is a computer and a standard printer. Supplies or equipment. Within minutes, you're up and running, printing official postage for any letter, any package, anywhere you want to send. And you'll get exclusive discounts on postage and shipping from USPS and UPS. Once your mail is ready, just schedule a pickup or drop it off. No traffic, no lines. Cut the confusion out of shipping with Stamps.com's new rate advisory tool. You can compare shipping rates and timelines to easily find the best option. Save time and money with Stamps.com. There's no risk. And with my promo code POD, you get a special offer that includes a four-week trial plus free postage and digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. Just go to Stamps.com. Click on the microphone at the top of the homepage and type in pod. That's stamps.com, promo code pod, stamps.com. Never go to the post office again. West Virginia Commonplace. Today I have a special guest with me, Kirsten Weiss. She is an author. She has a lot of things going on with her. I am going to do what we always do here in West Virginia Commonplace, and I'm going to pass the mic to Kirsten. So please tell us about yourself and why you are here today. Well, I'm here because you were very kindly, you're very kind and invited me here. So thank you very much. Always. I'm sorry. There was another question there too, but I don't do many podcasts. So I guess I got a little nervous and forgot it. It's a, who are you and what do you oh, do? Who are I? <laughs> <laughs> so my name is Kirsten Weiss. I write mystery novels. Uh, I write two types of mystery novels, uh, paranormal mystery, and also what's called cozy mystery, which are mystery novels that aren't terribly bloody, you know, the body is found, shock and horror, and uh, we have an amateur detective then who solves the crime. Oh, so tell us a little bit more about yourself so we can get uh, wrapped up in who you are so that that can go into what you're going to tell us about in just a bit, bit. Well, when I was a little girl, I started reading Nancy Drew novels, and I decided I was going to be a girl detective, and pretty quickly I realized that was not feasible. So my next choice was to become a mystery writer, but I didn't do that right away. I ended up being practical and going to business school and getting an international MBA. And then I joined the Peace Corps and I ended up working overseas in Eastern Europe and uh, North Africa for about 20 years. And um, that actually affected a lot of my writing because there was a lot of really interesting mysticism and superstitions that I encountered which spurred my interest in the paranormal. And I had a lot of time away from television sets with not a whole lot to do. So I got a lot of writing practice in, but I didn't become a writer until I returned to the United States, tried to find a job and realized I just did not fit into the traditional American uh, job scene anymore. I was not gonna work in a corporate outfit. It, I didn't fit. I'd been overseas doing weird things for too long and it just wasn't right. So out of desperation, I thought, okay, I'll try writing. And um, 12 years later, here I am. Okay, so 12 years later, you're here uh, writing. Sorry, it's not 12 years. It's about 10 years now. All right, so 10 years. So you, you do all this stuff, come back to America, and you're writing. Uh, initially, when you first started writing your first book, uh, how did you start the character development? Because one thing I'll tell the audience, I give a bunch of, of uh, questions to prep you, but those questions, I don't ask you really any of those. That's one thing that's the trick about this. So like, how did you start your character development? Because the one thing that happens to me when I talk to people that write or do anything creative, even if it's just to write a creative story, I always ask about the character develop, development, because when you read the end of it, I never know how the character develops in your head. So how did you develop, develop your first book and your character development? Well, I don't think I did a really professional job when I was first developing that character, although fortunately she turned out okay. Um, basically what happened was I just quit a job that was not working out for me. And it was a really rainy day, rainy day and I was driving down the street thinking, what am I going to do with my life? And I just started randomly brainstorming different jobs with myself and metaphysical detective popped into my head. And I thought, what, what is that? And what kind of person would do that? And then I came up with, uh, you know, what, what would this person's name be? 
And I always liked the name Riga because I worked in Estonia, which is right next to Latvia. The capital of Latvia is Riga. So I thought, okay, Riga, Riga what? And I thought Riga Hayworth because of Rita Hayworth. And I thought, well, wouldn't it be funny if my detective actually looked exactly like, or almost exactly like Rita Hayworth? It's kind of part of the whole magical scene. And um, then I just was writing a character that I thought I could get along with. Somebody who looked like Rita Hayworth had, had this weird life that she kind of suffered a little bit with. And what would that make her? And I made her a little bit older too. I put her in her forties. A lot of paranormal fiction characters are in their twenties, just developing their powers. But at that point I was in my forties too. So I guess that was a little egotistical of me now that I think about it. I made her like <laughs> me age wise, but in no other ways. So that was, it wasn't a very structured way to do it. Now I'm a little more structured where I think about what's their emotional wound that drives them, what happened in their past that they have to get over. And so I, I kind of have this little checklist of things that I think about. What's the thing she'd never do? What's the thing she'd always do? At that time, it was like, ah, I think this person would be fun. Okay. Now I want to tell you something real quick. I want to thank you because you produced a gym right there for aspiring um, authors because you gave them a sense of, or a technique on how to kind of character develop. You set a checklist. Uh, you gave them a mechanism to go on. A lot of people don't know that they're doing that. So I want to thank you for that. Now let's dive into a theme inside your books. Terror. T-O-R-T. If I pronounce, I may not be pronouncing that right. Like terror yeah. card, right? You got it right. Um, can you just dive into that for us? Like explain that to us, how that became inside your books. Well, when I joined the Peace Corps, you, you only get, I was going to a cold weather country. So I think I got three suitcases. Maybe it was only two, but you don't get to take much. And so I thought, you know what? I'm going to learn how to read tarot. I'd, I'd seen tarot cards in college. I kind of played around with them, but didn't understand them. So I brought a deck with me. And once I really started studying tarot, it, it, it's really a, a rabbit hole because it's connected to Greek philosophy, alchemy, to the Arthuric grail quest, Hermeticism, all these different you know, magical and philosophical strains of thought are in tarot symbolism. And once I, you know, I'd, I'd go down this alley and then I'd go down the other alley and it was, it just opened up this whole sort of occult philosophy or occult history world for me. And so okay. it kind of became natural that that would go into my books. I also do read tarot cards just for fun, not professionally. I'll read them at friends' parties. So I, I, have some let's see what do I got I've got some on my desk you know, different sets and such so they're always around me and they typically end up in my paranormal books and some of my <laughs> not paranormal books all right so paranormal uh people like to put that inside science fiction um what drove you to paranormal uh just thoughts in going being involved with activities and stuff like that um was it anything like with ghost hunting or anything, anything related to, because paranormal can be more than just ghosts. So it's just a different experience that most people don't, some people don't experience, not most. Yeah, I guess when I was younger, I was kind of interested in it. I don't, I don't know what I, I a lot of kids are, you know, vampires and ghosts and such. And then again, when I was overseas, I kept, you're running into these superstitions and odd things happening to me and fortune tellers. And there was, this is, I don't know if this is a good story or not. When I was in Kyrgyzstan, we worked, the, the building that we worked in was an old school because that was no longer a school anymore, an old grammar school. And a Korean church had taken over one part of the school. And then we worked in another part. And one afternoon, almost everybody was out of the office except for me and about half a dozen women. And we started hearing these blood curdling screams coming from somewhere on the grounds, like a woman was being murdered. I mean, it was really awful. And we all kind of clustered in the main office and we're looking at each other. And I was like, we have to call the police. This is no, you never call the police in the Soviet union or the ex Soviet union at that time, at least you never called the police because the police were the criminals as well. So they were like, no, I was like, we, there's something horrible is happening. We have to yeah, at least see what's going on. And then if it's really bad, we'll call the police. And they're like, okay, we'll go see what's going on. So I grabbed a guard and I grabbed a translator and we went and it was actually an exorcism that was happening in this oh. Korean church. <laughs> so right in the middle of the exorcism, we open the doors and there's sunlight behind us and we go walking in and the whole thing stops and everybody looks at us and 
I really think that they thought we were the demons when we walked in there because it was such a like dramatic moment. But um, <laughs> we politely asked them to maybe hold the screaming down and we screwed up their exorcism basically. But you know, silly, silly, weird things like that just kept happening to me. And um, I got more and more interested in how people were thinking about it, how people were using it. I mean, it seemed, especially in the Soviet Union, again, when I was there, people really didn't have a lot of control over their lives and uh, a lot less than we have here, at least. And so they would turn to superstition and various curses or spells or whatever to try to gain some control or a feeling of control over it. And that frustrated me. But at the same time, there's a psychological element to a lot of magic, which can either be very helpful or it can take people in the other direction and make you nuts. So there's a, there's a rich mine of psychological content in the paranormal and it's just kind of fun. Okay. Okay. Now being overseas and then coming back here with all this vast knowledge and um, obviously living in different areas, you, uh, take some of those experiences and keep them with you. Um, how many of these experiences uh, or certain areas and countries you visited, did you tie into your books from these experiences overseas? I think the main one, and this is actually kind of awful. When I was in Afghanistan, my boss was murdered and we were a small organization and it kind of felt like I mean, it was awful for him. I, I didn't, I had only started working there a few weeks earlier, so I didn't really know him that well, but it was really bad for, of course, the people who loved him and the people in the office who were close to him. And at the same time, all of a sudden the Afghan police who really weren't to be trusted, quite honestly, um, were just crawling all over the office. And there was a spotlight on everybody in the office. And there was a lot of speculation was this I think it was just terrorism. It's to all intents and purposes, it was a terrorist attack and he was in the wrong place in the wrong time and he was killed. Um, but there was a lot of speculation. Was it that he might've been doing something bad and that's why he got killed. And this is very typical when something bad happens, we don't want to believe it can happen to us. It happened to somebody else for a reason because they did something that we would never do. That's the whole, you know, blaming the victim mentality. But when you knew and like that victim and people are blaming the victim for getting killed, it's, very upsetting. And the, the theories that were going around, some were really crazy and stupid and some were like, well, you know, maybe, but it was terrifying. It was scary knowing some, you know, seeing somebody's life ripped away like that. Um, it was terrifying having the spotlight and the cops around asking questions. Again, I wasn't really a big, I wasn't a big focus of the investigation, but friends of mine were. And, um, the emotions that came from that and the feelings and the thoughts go into a lot of my books. Okay. And I can see that. And, and it's kind of like almost a self-care for you to a degree. Like a what? Like a self-care, like kind of. Yeah. I, I do work things out in my books for sure. And I like in my wits end books, which I'm sorry, I know we're going to be talking about them later, but mm -hmm. a running theme in that book is the difference between what we think is reality or the reality running through our heads versus objective reality, which is something I've been thinking about for years. And it's, it's become even more urgent for me in the last 18 months, I would say <laughs> with everything that's going on with COVID, it's like, who do you believe? Who do you trust? What's real? What's not all the, you know, cra again, crazy theories going around. And some of them makes, some of them end up being true and some of them don't end up being true. And it's really hard sometimes to parse what is really going on. So um, inside of your books, right, you write in, in multiple genres. What's your favorite genre to write in? Because like, I'll give you an example, and I'll just put a little filler in here, because I know you did a little bit of talking in case you need to get a drink of water. Um, so um, for instance, with me, like uh, I do seven different series of podcasts my favorite podcast is actually doing an author interview because when I talk to authors it's not that authors have a better education or have a better uh expression than any other artist but you all have a a, a theme that every author has clear transparent communication so I love to talk to authors over other guests for the simple fact that you all have a clear transparent message it may deviate 
with your experiences, but the initial conversation is always straightforward. And, and I always walk away with more, something more informative from an author than I do other people, not, not judging any of them or saying anything bad, but just like, for instance, from you, I'm getting a lot of experience uh, about your overseas adventures uh, and stuff like that. So stuff like that kind of entices me. So my favorite genre is talking to authors when I get a chance to. So what's your favorite genre inside of uh, writing books? Right now I'm really enjoying writing comedy, which Ooh. I'm, I'm doing more and more with my books. Like my Wits End series started out kind of funny and then it got funnier and funnier. I think as I started learning how to write comedy better, but also again, right now there's so much going on in the world. I want to laugh and it makes me feel really good to make other people laugh. So comedy is very gratifying for me. Now you have another interesting title, an Amazon bestselling author. Now that, because uh, in, in the world of anything, everybody likes having an accolade. What is it like to have books? And we're not talking about the aspect of selling them or anything, but books that get acknowledged by people, like knowing that your material, when you put out a book, that someone's going to go in there and they're like, hey, this is good stuff. Or, hey, there's certain parts that are good, certain parts I don't like. Um, how does What's that feeling of knowing that you're a best-selling author? Well, honestly, I'm just happy I can pay the rent <laughs> through my writing. But yeah, I mean, as an author, I'm constantly questioning, is this good enough? And I, part of me thinks it's probably a good thing if I always question if it's good enough, because then it will force me to try to make it good enough. But when people are buying your books and, and leaving good reviews and enjoying your books, it is a, it's very gratifying. It's like, oh, maybe that, maybe that was good enough. Maybe that was pretty good. It feels good. Sorry, you said authors speak clearly and directly. I don't feel like I'm doing that right now. <laughs> <laughs> well, 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 notice I did add in there that, that deviates. So there's a little misdirection okay. <laughs> with everyone. So, so we do have stuff like that happen because even I go off on tangents in different areas. So let's get to the nitty gritty. Um, inside every episode, I do a homage to 2020, uh, the, the news magazine with Barbara Walters, Diane Sawyer, at a time we all grew up with that on friday nights and i usually do a whole spiel with it but we've been doing it for, for so long we know that i'm going to do i'm going to ask you some hard-hitting questions right now that are not tied into anything that john stossel does because he's comedian he's a comedian inside that so we're going to go with our first diane sawyer question how do you handle criticism so that's the first part of it how do you handle criticism and if it's constructive versus creative criticism which one helps you and which one hurts you the most i admit i have a hard time handling criticism uh it, I, but i'm an adult i try to be an adult about it. it it hurts um and sometimes there's a little bit of stomping and swearing around the room when i get it and then i have to sit down and think about it and ask myself is this is this legitimate is it constructive or not and really try to parse it out and when it's constructive criticism, I will take it and I will you know, tell myself this is this actually will help me make the book better. My goal is to become the best writer I can. And if somebody's going to help me on that journey, it's a gift. Thank you. Even if it even if my ego gets a little bent out of shape in the process and I'll <laughs> take it. Now, the hard one is the creative criticism, because that's one even with what I do. Creative criticism, I have to take a step back and and that's the one that bothers me and boils my blood because creative criticism, if you don't like what I'm doing, I would always tell someone in the earlier stages of what I'm doing, you can go listen to Tom, Dick, Harry, Jane, Mary, or Tiffany. They're doing the same type of podcast. But in the writing realm, if someone gives you a creative uh, criticism, like with what you write, you know, some people probably even do fan fiction to what you write. So how do you handle the creative criticism? Because that's the hardest one for me. I don't handle it very well. I just don't read my Amazon reviews very much, <laughs> frankly. Because, <laughs> um, yeah, sometimes I'll see stuff. I'll be like, what? They don't, you know, <laughs> it makes me mad. Um, and the thing is, with Amazon reviews, they're really kind of our losing game. Because if I read a good review, it inflates my ego, which I don't need. And if I read a bad review, it plunges me into despair, which I also don't need. So I try to just listen to people who I know are going to give me solid constructive criticism that's well meant and that's thoughtful. 
Okay. Now, uh, audience, I have to give you a little bit of insight here that I got. Um, inside your books, you have what we call dedicated series. Uh, they go back as far as, and understand some of this, I'm going to go off the top of my head. Sensibility Gray? Yes, my steampunk series. Yes. So can we start there? So that was an earlier book. This is before steampunk. I'd written this Western cozy mystery. I, I don't know what got into my head to do it. I think because I'd been reading a lot of California history and gold rush history. And I actually sent it off to a publisher and it got through several, several rounds and then they finally declined it. But one of the editors who had reviewed it said, this is like Nancy Drew meets Sorrow. And I thought, wow, that's kind of really cool. And then, but I was like, what? But they didn't want it. So, you know, it's a dud. And then I started learning about steampunk years later. And I thought, aha, I could take this manuscript. I've become a slightly marginally better writer at this point and change it. So it's a steampunk story. And I ended up writing two other books in the uh, steampunk series and um, they're fun, I think. Okay. Okay. Now there's so many series and uh, there was a Rocky Bridges series also, correct? Well, that's just one book, although I'm, I'm trying to rehabilitate her and bring her back. She's a bodyguard. I, um, okay. when I was overseas, I met a lot of bodyguards and I, I met one female bodyguard who was really interesting. So I thought it'd be fun to write a bodyguard character. All right. And that book is called the mannequin offensive, correct? Yes. Okay. And, and the only reason I got correct on that, because I will tell you audience, uh, real quick, we were going to do a shameless plug real fast. Shameless plug, buy my books and go to my website at kirstenweiss.com. That's K-I-R-S-T-E-N-W-E-I-S-S.com. And you will find all of her books, but we're going to dive into the books heavy because there are a lot. Uh, and I, when I say a lot, um, there's another, there's a mystery series, um, Rega Haythwood. Rega Hayworth. Hayworth, yes. Ari, that's one of your mystery series. And that's kind of... Um, what would you say, like an urban fantasy? It's not so cozy or? Yeah, it's it's not so cozy. It's a little bit darker, more urban fantasy. That's uh, Riga Hayworth is, yeah, that's the first book I ever published was a Riga Hayworth book. Um, and so, the, sorry, no, you go ahead. I, know, I was going to say, and when you look at these books, these books have a definitive name before them and they end with detective. So the metaphysical detective, the and uh what's the next one alchemical um, detective detective the shamanic detective and then you can tell us the rest of them because my okay. some of <laughs> some of these i'm just going over so, yeah, uh, this, is, this is the infernal detective um the elemental detective the hoodoo detective the hermetic detective and then i did a crossover between the rika hayward series and my doyle witch series called unbound now, let me ask you this, um, and this is one thing I always like to just ask authors. Um, is there any way to find all that in like an omnibus type setting? I do have a seven book set out on Amazon, I think still for Riga Hayworth. And I also have three, some three book sets for the Riga Hayworth series out, which okay. are, if you buy the eBooks, they're eBooks. If you buy them, they're actually cheaper to get the set than of course to buy them individually. Okay, so definitely head over to Amazon and any other online book yeah. retail. Barnes and Noble, Google Play, Apple Books, and Kobo. Okay, awesome, awesome. Now, tell us a little bit about Riga Hayworth. Um, and she's located in um, San, San Francisco. She moves around in the first book, which is kind of a prequel. She's in San Francisco. And then okay. she moves up to Lake Tahoe on the Nevada side which my parents had a house up there. So this is where, this is where my life comes into it. Um, and then she does a little bit of traveling. She goes to new Orleans for the hoodoo detective and to Hawaii for the elemental detective, but most of it's set in the Tahoe basin. Okay. All right. And I, and I like that. So once again, audience, if you paid attention, she told you about the character development. Uh, this character has certain ties to her life and basically based on the location. Now let's dive into this mystery series. And once again, audience, I will say this again, uh, it's quite a few different books. So uh, the one great thing about Kirsten is it seems like that you took the time to uh, over time, obviously, to uh, accommodate 
different readers inside your series may not have been on purpose hopefully it was on purpose um so uh the next one i'd like to talk about is a doyle mystery series i think that's the wits end series i have my doyle witch series and i i've had different names for the wits end series because they both my doyle witch series witch series and my wits end series both take place in the imaginary town of doyle california okay there is a real town of doyle california but I didn't know that when I wrote the book. So, <laughs> so now there's also an imaginary town of Doyle, California. Um, right, so um, which series? The one that has Susan. 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 Yeah. So that's that's the Wits End series, otherwise known as the Doyle Mysteries, Cozy Mystery yes. series. Uh, she runs a UFO themed B&B. And I was kind of playing with, if you've read a lot of amateur detective novels, you'll see that a shocking number of murders happen in small towns. Yeah. A ridiculous number. Yeah. There's like 20 murders in the small town. What the heck's going on? So, and, and the whole, so the whole idea of an amateur detective in some ways seems kind of ridiculous because the police here in America are actually pretty good when it comes to solving crimes. Not, not perfect, obviously, but you know, if, if there was a crime around me, unless I was implicated in it somehow, I would let the police pretty much deal with it. So I thought, you know, you have to be a little bit delusional to think you're going to solve a crime when you don't have any training in crime solving. So I made her a little bit delusional and, <laughs> um, and I kind of played with that. And uh, that's the whole, you know, what's real and what's not theme that carries through those books. So out of that series, what is your favorite book? War of the Squirrels. No, no, no. War of the Squirrels. Yeah, War the of the Squirrels. Squirrels. War of the Squirrels. Squirrels. It's not Planet of the Grapes. I like Planet of the Grapes, but War of the Squirrels was a lot more slapstick. That's where I just went all out on the comedy. So I think that's the funniest book in the whole series. Um, but I, I do think the series is better read in order because Susan's character kind of develops over time. And uh, she learns a lot of lessons about herself and that you know changes her a bit. But and so it's, I think it's fun to kind of see that progression. All right, so the way that this series lays out, it goes at what's end? Planet of the Grapes, Deja Vu, Deja Vu, Deja Vu, and uh, War of the Squirrels. And then book five is coming out just in a couple weeks on Halloween, Gnome Alone. Gnome Alone. Okay. And don't forget, guys, get this whole series so that when you get to Gnome Alone, when it comes out, it'll be great to read. Um, So we'll stay in Doyle in, in that area, The Witches of Doyle. So I thought I was going to write a really light, funny witch mystery series. And when I started writing, it was, it, it turned a lot darker really quickly. <laughs> um, and the, my witches started dealing with much more serious family problems. Um, so it starts out, there's kind of sets of trilogies within it. There's the first three books. There's a subplot that goes through the first three and then they finish off that subplot. And then there's another three books where they're working through another subplot and then another three books where they're working through another subplot. And then the final book, Unbound, which kind of closes the whole thing down. 1998, Stamps.com has been an indispensable tool for nearly one million businesses. Stamps.com brings a service of the United States Postal Service and the UPS shipping right to your computer. Whether you're in an office sending invoices a side hustle SD shop, or a full-blown warehouse shipping out orders, Stamps.com will make your life easier. All you need is a computer and a standard printer. Supplies or equipment, within minutes, you're up and running, printing official postage for any letter, any package, anywhere you want to send. And you'll get exclusive discounts on postage and shipping from USPS and UPS. Once your mail is ready, just schedule a pickup or drop it off. No traffic, no lines. Cut the confusion out of shipping with Stamps.com's New rate advisory tool. You can compare shipping rates and timelines to easily find the best option. Save time and money with stamps.com. There's no risk. And with my promo code POD, you get a special offer that includes a four-week trial plus free postage and digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. Just go to stamps.com, click on the microphone at the top of the homepage, and type in POD. That's stamps.com, promo code POD. Stamps.com, never go to the post office again. Although there's light at the end of the tunnel. You can see that there's there's room for another series, which I have a vague idea about spawning off of that one. And is this also available? Um, you have a companion book that goes along with this? 
A what? A what book? A, a, a companion book that goes along with this. A companion. Uh, oh yeah, <laughs> I do. I have. So one of the sisters is a poet, and so she has a little okay. book of poetry. And then another one of the sisters writes paranormal romance. So I have a three paranormal romance books written by Corinne and by me, <laughs> um, which also kind of carry the Doyle mystery through it. But it's for I, I wanted to keep them separate because some people really hate romance novels. So I'm like, all right, you don't have to you don't have to read those to get the whole series. But if you enjoy romance novels and want to get little other little insights into what's happening with the witches, they're fun. And that's something that's like intricate. That's like amazing about you that, that how intricate you are with your books, how you kind of tailor them down a streamline. And then you have like little areas that you can go off on inside that. So you do major character development, even if you don't want to take credit for that, you can tell that in that series there. Now, perfectly proper paranormal museum mystery series. Can we talk about that? Yes. So that one the the heroine may sound a little familiar she worked overseas for a long time and she came home and she couldn't find a job <laughs> so again <laughs> that that part of her is like me the rest of her is not so much like me so she goes back to her hometown and she gets railroaded into running this paranormal museum which is the idea for that years ago i saw an article in the wall street journal about a guy who had opened a i think it was a sausage shop or a hot dog restaurant or something and he had a paranormal museum on the side and he was making more money on the museum than he was on the food. So he got rid of the food side. Actually, I don't know if he got rid of the food side. But anyways, I thought the whole thing was kind of hilarious and interesting. It would be a great place to kill somebody. So that's what I did on paper. <laughs> and inside that series, there's five, four books and a fifth on the way or a fifth already out. Damsel in a Dress? Damsel in a Dress is out. And then I've got a sixth book coming out at the beginning of 2020 called uh, going, going dead at the beginning of 2022, uh, 2022. Sorry. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. We, but you know, in life, uh, just to jump off topic for a second, 2020 um, let's go back in time a little bit. Cause the one aspect that I didn't talk to you about that is a growing aspect and will be going on for the next 10 years is this one single question during COVID, that's how the question starts because this is your this is we're going to barbara walter's question now during COVID, did you get more creative or did you lose some of your creative vices during COVID 19. i think i got more creative because i think boredom is a great spur to creativity the tv is the killer of it um like in 2020, for example, I created an advent to murder game, which I'm actually repeating again this year. It's basically an online cozy mystery advent calendar where you get a clue a day via email to solve. Mm -hmm. And then at, uh, your last clue comes on December 24th. Everybody gets Christmas off. <laughs> and then on the 26th, you have an opportunity to go onto another website and type in who you think did it and why. And then I have a little nominal prize for it. And um I would never have done something like that if it had not been for the lockdowns where I was just thinking, okay, I'm bored. Other people are bored. What are we going to do? All right, let's have this cozy mystery game. And during that time, did it feel comfortable? Like, did you get like into a comfort zone? Cause even I got into a comfort zone. A lot of people have a lot of negativity towards uh, COVID-19 and stuff like that. To me, it was a great period for me because even though with my job, I do travel 10 months out of the year, I was actually in locations where I had to actually stay. So I got to be more creative when it came to podcasting. And the more I got involved in the production side of this, the behind the scenes. So um, did anything change for you during 2020 that you, that hadn't happened prior? Yeah, I implemented a new, uh, I implemented a morning routine. So I get up about an hour earlier now to work out and to do some reading and meditating and then I start work a lot earlier, actually. So I, I kind of, I got a lot more structured with my life. I got a lot harder on myself, actually. I think every, everybody's dealing with it in a different way. And I just, I have to, this is my way, I think, of getting control <laughs> of my life. And I ended up improving my health quite a bit. I still have some weight to lose, but I've, I've lost a good bit. And um, I, plan on, I plan on keeping those habits because they've made me much more productive. Okay. Now, going back into your book series, because I want to talk about everything. We may not get to every single book, but I want to get to uh, at least all the series. Pie Town Mystery Series. 
Oh, I love those books. That's it's it's really they're kind of they're being marketed as baking mysteries because they're set in a pie shop and there's some recipes at the back. But it's really a buddy story between the owner of a pie shop and this this elderly woman. Uh, the owner of the pie shop is she lost her her mother. Her father is AWOL and she's you know struggling on her own to get this pie shop going. And Charlene, the pie crust maker, is very she's she's 82 going on 13 essentially <laughs> she's a troublemaker and she wants to have fun and she has a just a very blase view of the world you're 82 years old it's like screw it <laughs> let's have, let's let's do what we want to do um which which val the pie shop owner desperately needs more of in her life so these two characters work really well together and um i hope to get back to writing that series again okay now we have uh, two more to get into, and then we'll get into something that's coming out current. T and Tarot Mystery Series. So that is set in a T and Tarot room. Again, I when I was in Tampa, Florida years ago, some friends took me to a, I don't know, it was a, I can't remember if it was a T and Tarot room or a tea room with a or a co- coffee shop with tarot readers in it. But I thought it was a good combination. And again, it's I, I have a soft spot for small business owners since I, I know a bunch of them. Um, it's about a woman who's her dream is to open a tea room and she gets conned by a crooked realtor and who leases the building to another person as well as her and then runs off with their deposits and promptly gets killed. So she's forced. <laughs> <laughs> so she's lost her deposit and she was running on a very thin margin. She still really wants to set up her tea room. But this other guy, Hyperion, who's a tarot reader, is determined to set up his tarot room. And of course, the two end up working together on the murder and then creating a tea and tarot room. And it's also, it's a comedic mystery. It's light. It's funny. It's set on in a beach town on the California coast. And it's just, it's, it's escapism. All right. And inside that series, what is your favorite book inside that one? I really like um, Oolong Farewell, which again, I think it was, that was one of the funnier ones, I think. Although the one that just came out, Never Say Chai, is Halloween themed, and I have a soft spot for Halloween as well. So I like that one quite a bit, too. All right. So we're going to hold on that thought of Never Say Chai, and then we're going to talk about one other book that's coming out in 2022. You have another series, Big Murder Mystery Series, and you have a book called Big Shot coming out. Yeah. So I went back to my bodyguards, and it's about a bodyguard who fails spectacularly and very, very publicly. Um, and the man on her watch, it's not her fault, but she gets blamed for his death. And so she goes back to her hometown thinking it's a great, it's called nowhere, nowhere, Nevada. And she's thinking, nobody's going to find me there. Cause nobody knows I'm from here and nobody ever goes to nowhere anyways. And when she comes home, she discovers that all of a sudden, lots of people are going to nowhere because they've turned it into a town with lots of big things, like um, Guinness record breaking size things. That's actually based off a town in the United States called Casey, Nevada, which is right off the I-70. Like not Casey, Nevada, excuse me, Casey, Illinois, which has, I think, the most record-breaking small, uh, big things. They've got like, the world's biggest rocking chair, the world's biggest wind chimes, the world's biggest knitting needle, like crazy stuff. So and when I was in the knit shop there, I was talking to the owner and she said, yeah, it's a pretty quirky place to live. And I thought, aha, <laughs> cozy mystery time. This will make a great place. <laughs> for a murder mystery. But since I don't really know Illinois so well, I know Nevada and California much better. I thought, you know what? I'll put it in Nevada, right on the other side of the Sierra Nevadas. So it's close to Doyle and I can do a little bit of crossover there as well. Okay. So you can tie it in. Now let's go back to Never Say Cheat. This book is coming out very soon. It actually came out. um, Oh, it's already out. Yeah. It came out in August, I think. Or came out in August. Okay. So let's talk about this book real quick. What inspired you? Because this was one the one, one of the ones that um, my VA, like she she got tied into this one. Um, what inspired this last book that you put out in that series? Well, I wanted to do, I love Halloween and I wanted to do a Halloween theme book. And I just threw in every crazy Halloween thing I could think of and try to make it funny. Um, you know, funny things that can happen in a haunted house. There's a town, I live in Colorado Springs, and there's a town nearby called Manitou. And every Halloween season, they have a coffin race based on the legend of Emma 
Caulfield, I think her name was, who was one of the founders of Manitou. And she was buried on the hill over Manitou. And there was a big washout and her coffin came out of the mountain and went skidding into downtown. So they do this coffin race in her honor. And I have to say, I was actually a little disappointed by the coffin race because a lot of the so-called coffins don't look at all like coffins. So I thought, okay, I'm going to do my own coffin race in my head and do it the way I think it should be done with a murder. (laughs) (laughs) Now, uh, the main question that anyone would ask you after looking over your catalog of books um, is this, how do you find time to keep up with all these series and to write all this? I'm learning to write much faster, <laughs> but yeah, it's, it's definitely a balancing act. Um, the, the, the Riga Hayworth series, I consider complete at this point, although I'm still writing short stories for it. And um, I may continue writing short stories and novellas for it and also for the Doyle Witch series. So I guess I'm putting more effort with the longer books in my new series. And then the older series, which I still love, I mean, these characters are in my head and they're in my heart and I don't want to just drop them, but yeah, there's only so much, so many hours in the day. So I'm keeping them alive with shorter books and short stories. All right. Now here goes a deep, deep Barbara Walters question to finish out our 2020 segment inside the show. Cause we kind of went around different areas and I like that we did that. That kind of puts a new volume to the, uh, to the show. You have these books and you know that they are great. They make you feel good. They make the world move with uh, everything that you have uh, going on inside of them. The whole cozy mystery thing. And uh, one thing I do want to do a little plug in here. If you do go over to www.cozy.com, you can find out a lot of information on cozy mysteries. Just plugging that in there for those guys. You don't have to send me a check. Um, So my next thing is this. In the future, do you um, have any thoughts of, maybe taking one of these series to the big screen or to television? I, I would love to, but I, it's not really up to me. It's up to a producer who has to get my book in his or her hands and decide, huh, this could translate well. Um, but I think also when you're writing books, if you want to do that, you need to think of it as you're writing it. You need to write the scenes for the screen in a way. You need to think of you know, what's the what's the big image that's going to be in each scene. How is this going to look? And I know writers who do that. I don't do that so much. I'm I'm writing to write. So I would love to see them translated to the big screen. I think my, actually, honestly, my dream is kind of a Hallmark mystery channel. Okay. All right. I, I, I'm, aiming, I'm aiming a little lower than the big screen. Um, and I, I think, like, I think the Pytown series would be great on there. I think, yeah, but, but of course it's my book. So of course I think it'd be great on it. <laughs> <laughs> All right. And I really do appreciate that. Now we'll finish this off with a hard hitting question. Um, Future endeavors. What does the future look like for you? Um, Well, I've got my writing calendar planned out for next year and it's continuing existing series, more books in the wits end and paranormal museum series and my new series. Um, Right now I'm working on my next advent to murder game and uh yeah i'm just i'm just keeping on keeping on all right and what website can they go over to to find you and find out about all your books so it's just my name kirstenweiss.com spelled k-i-r-s-t-e-n-w-e-i-s-s.com all right now kirsten this is a personal question because we've done a lot of um aesthetic work building up the books and everything else so these are personal questions and these, these are the ones that we don't go over and stuff like that. Who and what inspired you as a kid to, to get out here as an adult, travel the world, um, and then come back here and not conform to the Americanized dream of you've got to work a nine to five or you've got to work a certain type of job to survive and thrive. And I did say survive and thrive. Um, whom along the way helped you? Well, I think a big part of it was a, a good friend of mine in college had planned on going to the Peace Corps and then she was killed in a plane crash. And it was, um, I won't say I went to the Peace Corps just because of her, but that was a big part of it. I had that in my head. I said, you know what? 
let's do it. And that started my overseas career. Okay. And um, after you've had this illustrious career overseas and illustrious, we use that as a term for the simple fact that there's ups and downs in everything we do in life. So illustrious can kind of tailor to some of that. Um, and you come back home, life is uncertain when you come back here from somewhere because you, you're a foreigner coming back to your homeland. So you're kind of like a foreigner, basically. Um, coming back here, you settled in, things didn't work out the right way. And then you started writing. And now you are on a certain plateau. When we get on these plateaus, they kind of, you know, you kind of got to look at the bottom to see if you're going to have rise in action or if you're going to have fall in action. And that's something we learned in English class. Um, how do you continue the rising action? And how do you keep yourself in a, in a certain level that you keep on the plateau and don't have any fall in action? I'm not sure, quite honestly, but for me, I just, I'm just not settling. I I'm keep trying to learn. I keep trying to, I'm constantly trying to improve my writing. I'm still taking writing courses. Um, I'm still taking courses. I, I just got back from a big conference called the NINC. Uh, I can't remember what NINC stands for. National Independent Novelists, something, something. I learned so much there. There's just, there's always things to learn. I think, I think the trap is when you feel like you've made it. That that's, that's what causes the plateau. I, I, I don't feel like I've made it yet. And I'm hopefully, hopefully I never will. Cause I think once I do, I'll settle and then I will stop moving forward. Then you might stop writing. <laughs> I don't know if I'd stop writing. I, I really love it. This is my dream job. And then it's amazing that you get to live that. So now here goes the final question. If there was a billboard that you could place in all 50 states, it could be an advertisement or a testament to who you are in your books. What would that advertisement on that billboard say? Hmm. I think it'd probably be the cover of my Wits End book, which I think is hilarious. It's a UFO crashed into a Victorian looking house. And, um, and I really like that series. And I think, I think it's, it's definitely, I don't write messages necessarily into my books, but again, this, the theme of what's real and what's not, I think is something we all need to examine <laughs> in America right now. And I don't presume to have the answers, but I think we all need to be asking the questions. Okay. And I can definitely agree with that. Now to finish this out, I want to thank you for coming on the show and I give everybody a testament on who they are to me and just going over the scope of your information, the bit of your life that you've shared with us. This is what I have come to a conclusion with. And Kirsten, it is very simple. You're a very versatile person. You set out in the world to not conform to conformity. That's a hard thing to do because some of us get molded into certain bits of clay that follow a factory uh, setting where we're just nine to five, we punch it in, punch it out. And that's what we do. Uh, we have creative uh, things that we want to do, but we never do. You accepted that you needed to be creative when you came back here. You uh, indulged in your writing. Um, you found genres that work for you. Cozy mystery, um, which is a subgenre inside of mystery. Um, doing these type of things sets you apart and it's very hard to distinguish people that just wrote a simple genre like if you just stayed in mystery you would be like every tom dick harry mary tiffany and jane in writing and you don't do that that is something that makes you exceptional it, it makes it warming to inspiring authors to anyone in a creative direction that's saying hey i don't have to be in a bland genre i can go a subgenre i can go whatever past subgenres and work be successful at it and make it my niche and then once it's my niche i can make it more than a niche we'll drop the name of neat niche or niche whatever you want to say um and it just becomes my home. It's where I develop. It's where I grow. It's where I nurture. And in doing so and doing that, you're making it easier for other people to express their design without conforming. The whole thing here is that you never conformed. And that follows you and people see that. So I want to tell you, thank you for that. Because some people, like you said, you don't necessarily go out to write messages in your book. But you set a theme. Do not conform. Let the paranormal, let the extraordinary, extraordinary be a part of who you are. So I want to thank you for that. 
Well, thank you, Jared. This has been a, a wonderful interview and I'm so appreciative of you inviting me on. Okay. Now, is there anybody else that you would like to give a shout out to? Um, I would like to give a shout out to my romance writing sister, Allison Charles. Okay. Who uh, She'll tell anybody the reason she decided to become a romance writer was when she saw that I could write books. Anybody can write books. <laughs> <laughs> so we'll take that one and, and I can go with that. So once again, Kirsten, I want to thank you for coming on West Virginia Uncommonplace. And the most famous thing that we do on the show is our shameless plug because we're at the end of the show. And we have that one that one person that listens that skips through different parts. Could you please tell the audience one last time where they can find you, where they can interact with you, and where they can buy your books? You can find me on Amazon and all fine internet online retailers. You can find me on Facebook. I'm also on Twitter and Instagram. And my website is KirstenWeiss.com. Remember that Kirsten Weiss, not Weiss. Like I said earlier in the show, Weiss, um, she has a great catalog of books. And I did say a catalog. If there was a Sears catalog of books right now, she could sell the first 40 pages of the catalog. So definitely there's a series for everyone to get uh, intertwined with. And then the other cool thing is, and this is for readers, because I know I have a lot of readers that listen um, with everything that she has going on. You could just like omnibus a few. And like she said, there are certain sets that you can get that will keep you tied up through the winter time. Cause that's the major theme that I want to go along with for the winter. Let's read. Let's, uh, and if you don't read a, a normal fashion of book, even if it's screen time, let's get books, let's get educational things out there in a sense, because inside of every book, there's a bit of education. Yeah. And, and, you, learn. and you, you learn life lessons and lessons and stuff are not always taught in the, the verbal They're taught in the written obviously since the beginning of time so please everyone um take some time look over these series um and not saying you have to get every single book in each series but find no, a series get, get them can... all buy them all honestly <laughs> oh, she said buy them all but you can tie... yeah but you can definitely tie into a lot of these series and uh myself i'm gonna definitely say like the, the different volumes and different levels of uh character development that we've established here you can tell that she's a bona fide writer so once again i am jr for west virginia commonplace and i have kirsten weiss 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 <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll plug that weiss i'm sorry i don't know why i said weiss but kirsten weiss with me and we will definitely have to have you back on in the near future um and i hope that you have continued success thank you you're welcome